1: the examination of the galaxies of space. Images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful, Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior. Prepare to explode. Champion versus champion. Title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's WrestleMania.
0: Welcome again to Parts Unknown, the WrestleMania retrospective that takes you back to the halcyon days of the greatest show on earth. This week we're in 1990, WrestleMania Six at the Skydome in Toronto. The first time the Fed had held its annual extravaganza outside the US of A. A young edge was in the 11th row watching on as the irresistible force met the immovable object in the main event. It was a whopper of a card with 14 matches in all. It lasted just over three and a half hours and took place before more than 65,000 fans with Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura on commentary. Here to separate the big pops from the cheap shots are my very own personal colossal connection – First, after a three-week sabbatical, he's back and better than ever, possibly. Mm. From Sky Sports News, it's the African dream, Anton Touloui. Hello there. (laughs) Next, it's the author, the doctor, the main eventer, the genius, Carrie Dunn.
3: Hello. And
0: last but by no means least, if you haven't read an article of his on something this year, you're doing the internet all wrong. He's just a common man. It's Carl Anker. Hello there. Anyway, on with the show. There's only one place we can start. The Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan to become WWF champion in a title versus title match. That rarest of things, a babyface versus babyface match between the two biggest stars in the company at this point. We got a recap package rather than a hype bid, which they hadn't mastered at this time. Uh, included Tony Schiavone calling the Royal Rumble, which I got a kick out of. Who'd like to tell us how this match came about?
4: So at the, at the Royal Rumble, there was a moment where Hogan and Ultimate Warrior were on Different sides of the ring, back to back, brushed shoulders against each other, turned round, realised who each other were. Um, And in the true amazing WWE tradition of, oh wait, those characters have never ever been in the same universe together. The crowd slowly realises what's happening and then you hear one of the biggest pops in Royal Rumble history. I'd say it's the biggest pre-internet pop in Rumble history. The biggest post is Austin in 2001. i maintain that. Um, And it was the real, oh... Oh, oh wow yeah let's get those two fighting together and whatnot hogan would go on to win the rumble um some are the wins the belt in between and then you get this quite fun rumble to wrestlemania period where hogan is running on warrior matches to protect the ultimate warrior and warrior is running on hogan matches to protect Hogan uh, in the true sort of we need to make sure that when we both arrive at WrestleMania, we're in peak condition. There was a similar thing going on this year, I say this year, in 2018 with Nakamura and AJ Styles. Um, And also during this time, they're both dropping just off the wall promos. Truly bizarre. I have no idea what's being said. There's, There's a really famous one, infamous one from The Ultimate Warrior, where he's describing Hulk Hogan in a plane going to WrestleMania, going to this ultimate challenge. And then the plane starts crashing. And I, I I don't know exactly what it's being said because I don't know what he's trying to say. I just remember there's a bit where there are two parachutes left and Hulk Hogan has a choice. And Ultimate Warrior goes, take the plane. Send it into a nosedive. Do it, Hulk Hogan, do it. Um, and I was just, in, in true Ultimate Warrior style, I have no idea what you're saying, but okay, yeah, yeah, yay, hooray. Let's fight. Uh, Famously, this match was practiced behind closed doors for three weeks um, before it happened because Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan are both notoriously botch-prone. And even after three weeks of practicing, there is still one flub partway through
0: this match. Carrie, in terms of the match, it's uh, pretty basic. You might say tedious, but the crowd is so white-hot for it that it echoes of Mania 18 with Rock and Hogan that that almost renders the in-ring action... Immaterial to a point.
3: Yeah, the the, the match isn't about the match, it's not about what is actually happening. And yeah, it's quite funny to kind of think about them practicing this because, you know, what the hell were they practicing for that long? What would take them that long? It's a very, very basic match. You've got your ref bump uh, in the middle of it, which is kind of, you know, typical WWE, WWF. But yeah, the, the crowd reaction is just yeah, it's, it's it's off the scale, and it doesn't matter what is happening in the ring because it, again, it's the story that's being told um, by these two performers. I'm not using the word wrestler there, <laughs> Um that that's what's important here, and that's what gets what gets the reaction.
0: In terms of the end, Anton, so Warrior wins, but Hogan, in that Hogan way, makes sure that the spotlight isn't on him at the end. Well, for starters, Hogan. Barely
2: gives him a three count. I mean, it is you watch about it, like did he? I think he, he did win. Warrior did
0: win, but that's all right, isn't it? Like more matches should have that. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's, he's it, not doing it for realism. No, him, no, but obviously, it's, it's
2: just because it's Hulk, isn't it? And that's where just of course, of course, it's you know three point one count as opposed to you know actual you know things we see week in week out. And yeah, obviously, you know H- Hogan's there, drops his knee, points to the sky, and gives him the bow and you know co- well, it's a coronation basically isn't it effectively well done mate you've, you've done it I mean it's the ending of the match is good because there are the twists and you're not sure who's going to win because of the you know the kick out and Hulk does the you and you're like okay here we go similar ending to what we had last year and then all of a sudden you know like, oh great and you know it was it took a long time to get to it but the ending's the ending's the ending's fun the ending's great and the crowd get the ending they deserve not just a sort of Here's here's what you see week in week out and a leg drop and done. At least it was something a bit different. And yeah, I mean, this is not in my in my opinion a great WrestleMania, but at least the big main event had a had a decent finish. So it's a guilty pleasure. No, it's just I, I can appreciate the hard work and the storytelling that goes into the end of the match. I can you know Pat Patterson clearly worked his ass off to get these guys ready to tell that story at the end of the match, and. And you got an iconic moment at the end. And I think it's really easy for us to go back and say, oh, you know, it wasn't a great match. Or not. But these two guys were hugely popular at the time and the crowd loved it. And I think you've got to take, yeah, well, personally, I'll take my hats off to it and say, well, at least they delivered and the fans went home happy.
0: Carl, have you got a theory as to why Warrior was something of a flop as champ? Because you could say it's because he's not a very good wrestler, but you could apply that to Hogan as well, is it because he just didn't care enough about it? Um, it's because he's
4: not a good actor very specifically. So we have all said various bad things about Hulk Hogan, but the thing is when Hulk Hogan wants to tell a story about himself, I'm crucially saying that when Hulk Hogan wants to tell a story about himself and wants to make himself look good, he will deliver. So there's a point in this match where his knee gives way and, uh, gorilla's going oh i'm not sure but hogan eventually powers up and goes through and gorilla hand waves and says there's something about his platellas snapped back into place but hogan can sell in that way when hogan wants to look like he's really hurt and vulnerable and actually it takes energy for him to get up to this hulking up bit because the whole up is ridiculous it's just no sell right but he has to go through a lot of damage and a lot of pain to get there and hogan is great at doing that hogan's great at just going oh no i'm really weak please don't please don't please don't hello Whereas Ultimate Warrior never does that. <laughs> we joked on WrestleMania 13 about how he just stood right back up after a pedigree. And he is—he does that all the time, where he shows no respect for his opponent. He never wants to make himself look vulnerable. So as a champion, there is no intrigue in anything he does, because you just assume he's going to win. And if he loses, you assume he loses via shenanigans, because he doesn't know
0: how to make himself look vulnerable. Well, that was the main event. Certainly not a five star classic, but historically significant. The next match I want to talk about, Bad News Brown versus Roddy Piper, ended in a double count out carry uh oh. Um just when I thought I was all in on Piper as we, we spoke about it over the last couple of shows, the blackface stuff.
3: Oh my god. Um I literally didn't even realise what was happening. Um, so until you kind of see the pre-match stuff, and I've written in my notes, why is Roddy painted? Then I've written, oh my god, it's because this whole thing is racist. Um, and the words that he uses, it's not just it's not just the blackface that goes with it. He talks about Bad News Brown's um, physical appearance too. He goes with all the kind of you know the stereotypes, awful stereotypes. Kind of talks about bug eyes. Talks about his uh, ears, his nose, his nostrils. It's just the most egregious racism. And yeah, it's terrible. I was shocked.
0: Are you still a fan of his?
3: It's a really difficult thing, isn't it? I mean, we say kind of you, you can't just look at things as being of their time. And obviously, this is a product of its time. Roddy Piper is a character that's been written and is being performed by this particular performer within a particular culture. You know, it's not to say that WWE isn't free from this kind of stuff now. We still see racial stereotypes being willed out. And although they're perhaps slightly more subtle now, they're not quite as explicit as this, there are still problems with the way WWE um, portray their characters. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still a fan of Roddy Piper's work, but I'm certainly not a fan of this or the way this was produced.
0: What shocked me about it, Carl, apart from the fact that he blacked up half of his face and body, was that the crowd seemed to eat it up. They didn't They didn't care at all. They thought it was a hoot. Oh, yeah.
4: They, they love it. Um, they WWE fans also love when Triple H blacked up and impersonated The Rock during DX versus Nation of Domination. Uh, I'd say wider society still has not un- grappled with, if you pardon the pun, uh, or understood why blackface is offensive, unacceptable. The... Interesting thing about this match is, like we mentioned previously, when Piper was against Goldust, is that Piper looks unique and Piper has this different energy compared to everyone else. So this match is a fight compared to all the punch kick punch kick Irish whip stuff. This is just two lads having a scrap, which is interesting to watch and is 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 a varied pace. And if Piper hadn't have blacked up, yeah, probably would enjoy this. This is this is quite a nice Backstreet Brawl type thing why he blacked up um, I think he was asked later on in life why he did it and he said something on the lines of listen I'm from this place there are barely any black people in this place
0: which makes zero sense he also said I said some nice things about Michael Jackson in the build up as well that so. was, I was
2: going to ask what was the what was his thing with Michael Jackson the little tee and the little every so often yeah. and it was all very odd wasn't it it was what, why is he bringing why has he got a glove yeah why's he got a glove and he puts it on during the match as well doesn't he it's yeah it's really uncomfortable and if you can't explain why you did it that doesn't mean it's okay no that's what I don't understand and you can say i i admit or i can appreciate why it was wrong or like like look i'm not i'm not excusing it i'm just saying that I, you can always you should be able to be reflective and say times have changed and I was off the mark I'm pretty sure if you asked half the crowd who were there now and said oh what about this they'd be like oh yeah actually And watching it now I'd feel a bit uncomfortable but at the time they lapped it up fine you're not going to say you're not going to turn around to that person and say you're an awful human being you're going to say oh well done thanks for learning your life lessons You know, we all understand that you know the time was just, were just completely different then but yeah, you're right. Why? Why is this? Why is this? Why? Why? Why, why, is, why is this not been denounced?
0: What? What made it particularly inexcusable for me was that he apparently used some special kind of paint or product or whatever to ensure that it didn't wash off whilst he was sweating during the match, because that could have given at least the commentary team something of an out of look. How ridiculous this thing that he did is! It's going away. Um, and that just shows what an awful thing it is to do, et cetera, and so on. But they were that insistent on it that they made sure that it that's, didn't.
4: That's such a Roddy Piper thing. Only Roddy Piper in 1990 would think, I better take extra attention to use the correct paint. Which, which makes... Ro- that stands Roddy Piper out as he is a perfectionist and he very much cares about his craft. He also does some just deplorable things and thinks it's okay because it's wrestling. It's not really him.
2: It didn't <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon reportedly in the back replace the cleaner with just water so we had to go to the
0: airport the next mm. day still half
2: half black yeah That's walking fun. through the airport <laughs> in
0: canada with a, a large mickey mouse doll for his daughter um still half in blackface which must have uh, attracted some looks bad news brown's not somebody we've mentioned does, does anybody know anything about him or would you like to learn yes he is a ex uh he's an olympic bronze medalist so he's not
4: quite cut angle but not quite Kurt Angle. Ronda oh, he's Ronda Rousey. Um, Bronze in judo Bronzing in 1976. Judo. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good to see. W- we saw all those judo moves in this match, didn't we? The, guy, the guy, that paid off. He, he has distractingly high t- trunks. There's just something about his trunks that look as if they're missing like an extra bit of fabric around
0: the back, so I can see like the bottom of his bum. So maybe that's where Simon Cowell got that gimmick from. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? <laughs> he, he left the Fed after SummerSlam this year, saying that Vince had reneged on a promise to make him the first black champ he died. Age 53, of a heart attack, um, which we're sort of getting used to. On from that, I think we're probably best to just put it behind us too. Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire, brackets with Miss Elizabeth, defeating Queen Sherry and Randy Savage. Um, Carrie, this is our first in-ring look at Dusty Rhodes, one of the most historically significant figures in, in past, present and maybe future WWE history. Some people won't know much about him. Tell us.
3: OK, Um. So, uh let's work backwards I suppose. So he's the father of Cody Rhodes and Gold Dust. Uh he's probably most famous in the past kind of 10 years for his work in uh WWE development. So one of the key figures behind NXT, uh, hence the Dusty Rhodes uh, Tag Team Classic tournament. And then before that, uh, obviously famous for his own in-ring work and is also his promos. I mean, the Hard Times promo is one of the most famous wrestling promos of all time. I don't think we need to go over that. But if you haven't seen it, go and watch it on YouTube immediately. It's one of those compelling pieces of acting you will see from a wrestler.
0: And one of his main duties in the Performance Centre was promo classes, wasn't it?
3: Absolutely, yeah. Which is interesting because... I kind of feel in the past couple of years that's been slightly neglected, that, that they've kind of gone on this talent search of all the Indies and got in these brilliant in-ring performers who aren't necessarily the most comfortable on camera. They're not necessarily so hot on the character work or the actual talking side of it. And yeah, I think that's probably where Dusty is most currently missed in WWE product.
0: In terms of his in-ring career, Carl, it was more um, Crockett Promotions, WCW, than than WWF. He's, he's decked out in polka dots here, Supposedly that was not a rib on him, but he was a serious performer for the rest of his career and he was kind of made to be slightly comical during his WWF run.
4: Yeah, so he's he's NWA uh, Crockett, um, babyface, du jour. He frequently clashed with Ric Flair. So the idea was Ric Flair, as the heel, would hold the title for a long, long time. Uh, Dusty Rhodes would chase, eventually overcome, or try and overcome, there'd be shenanigans, the four horsemen would get involved... Or you get what is termed as a dusty finish, which is Dusty Rhodes invented a dusty finish, which is a finish which isn't clean. So if your face wins, but it's via DQ, so the heel retains the title or other shenanigans. The way I always described it to my non-wrestling fa- friends is um, in the Oscars where everyone thought La La Land won and then eventually became Moonlight. That's a dusty finish. Yeah, It's like when the ref changes the result yeah. sometime yeah. afterwards. Yeah. basically. Yeah. Moonlight has won. That's a dusty finish, but in the Oscars. (laughs) Um, And then he he goes over to WWE due to, well, business reasons. He wasn't a great booker in the same way he was a fantastic wrestler because he, like many other wrestlers turned bookers, didn't want to give up the title. Um, Gets to WWE and they thought, all right, well, you're like this great heroic common man here. We're going to just take the mick out of you. So put him in yellow. Polka dots. Um, but the thing about Dusty Rhodes is he's so charismatic and he's so funny and he can make nearly every gimmick sing that it worked.
3: And one of the um, biggest ribs that Vince liked to play on him was the fact that the character Virgil is actually named after Dusty Rhodes' real name. So, kind of uh, a valet, a dog's body, a bit of a joke. And that's how Virgil got his name.
4: As is Akeem the American Dream. Akeem the African Dream. There are two black characters in WWE who are a bizarre piss take of Dusty Rhodes because of the fact that Dusty Rhodes comes from the south and speaks like this which apparently to Vince is how black people shuck and
0: jive great man isn't he um Axel Dusty, so still gets me. In terms of his sons, Dustin, aka Goldust, looks more like him. Cody maybe sort of thinks more like him. You know, the kind of entrepreneurial, independent businessman that we've seen, particularly in this year of twenty eighteen. Would that be fair to say? Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, Dusty understood
2: what wrestling fans wanted and how to almost modernize the product within the territories and draw a crowd and make the crowd go home shocked and surprised and. Enthralled, thralled and they come back so they come back next week or come back next time you're on tour and you see Cody doing that now with the indie setup he's offering something different he's offering something cool he gets he understands what wrestling is in 2018 like Dusty did in the in the 80s so I think yeah I think you can clearly see the, the lineage um, and the thing I liked about
0: the promo before this match because Sapphire isn't a an in-ring She was basically a fan who worked her way into the storyline. Real name wanting to write. Sherry didn't like working with her, apparently.
2: But Dusty does all he can in the promo to physically bring her in. And then while in the ring, he he clearly has taken this person under his wing to try to create the best match, try to make the most out of her experience in it. And from anyone you speak to that's been in NXT while... while well, um, Dusty was there, one of the first people they'll talk about. It's not Triple H. It's not, you know, it's not Matt Bloom. It's not, you know, the women's division usually talk about Sarah Martha, but it's, it's Dusty. Dusty's the guy they'll talk about. The one guy that they're instantly connected with because there's clearly something about him as a human being that just loved working with people and getting yeah, making the most out of them. And his enthusiasm for sports entertainment clearly came across and was contagious. And I think that can even be seen in just the, the slight promo you see before
0: this match. Uh, in terms of the people opposing them here, Sherry, somebody we've spoken about, anybody have a preference for heel savage over face savage? Is is? I mean, Carl, yeah. oh, you're shaking your head yes. That uh, surprises
4: I, me. I, I like me some heel macho man because we'll get into this a bit later when we talk about face one. Macho man is better, more, more interesting to me when he's incredibly dominant. So unlike, to loop back to what I said about Warrior, macho man's a great actor, but he's got quite... A pronounced vocabulary. Um, so obviously, this is a podcast, so you can't see what I'm doing right now. But Matchaman does this a lot where he puts both of his arms out and then he points like this, which is basically his version of going, Hello, new paragraph. Um, I feel like we need car gifts <laughs> to accompany the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so stick both your arms out and then point forwards. And they're like very, very specifically. That's how Macho Man starts next segment of match. And he does that a lot more when he's a good guy than he does as a bad guy. Because when he's a bad guy, he's getting tables and he's punching you more. And he's just trying to beat you up a lot more than he is trying to tell a story and being quite clean. And also I find Sensational's Cherry just fascinating. When she's beside Macho Man, or when she's beside Shawn Michaels, or when she's doing anything, really. So yeah, I prefer heel Macho Man,
2: and I've also with with his delivery because it's so deep and because it's so pronounced, and it I kind of feel like it suits a heel character. More. I can't get behind a hero. So sort of saying, Ooh,
0: yeah, and
2: I, that doesn't sound like a hero to me. That That's the
0: worst Macho
2: Man I've ever, ever heard. Well, he <laughs> was you know maybe it was him on the loo or something. I don't know, but it's he's back I don't I don't I just I can't I don't say heroes don't talk like that I can't get behind someone you could say the most prophetic wonderful thing and I would just go well that's ridiculous because it's coming out of his mouth we'll say something dastardly that way Don't don't say something wonderful because I won't believe it
0: Welcome back to Parts Unknown. Have you given us a five-star rating and or review? If so, thanks. If not, we'd be terribly grateful. Back to WrestleMania 6 then. A big old card as the Fed tried to give everybody a WrestleMania moment. Also in action in Toronto were Earthquake beating Hercules, Rick Rude beating Jimmy Snooker, the Hart Foundation beating the Bolsheviks in a 19-second classic, the Barbarian going over against Tito Santana, Dino Bravo doing the job to Jim Duggan, and the Big Boss Man defeating Akeem. The next match I want to discuss is, once again, all about the Jake Roberts promo. Producer Ben, hit it.
1: Well, well. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Here we are at WrestleMania, and it's the biggest match of your career. Why? Because everything you stand for is on the line. Namely, the Million Dollar Belt. Oh, yeah. It can be yours once again. You see, all you have to do to get it back is go through Damien and me. But you see, Damien and I don't forget, we remember all the times you made people grovel for your money. These were people far less fortunate than you. People who could use your money for essentials. And what did you do? You made fun of them. You humbled them. And you humiliated them. Well, now it's my turn. I'm going to make you beg, DiBiase. You are going to get down on your hands and knees. This time, you'll be the one that's humbled. This time, you'll be the one that's humiliated. And this time, you will be the one that grovels for the money. And how appropriate (laughs) that the money you grovel for is your very own. A victim of your own greed, wallowing in the muck of avarice. Longfellow couldn't have said it better.
0: Uh, Carrie, there's a reason that Barry Blowstein chose to include that in Beyond the Mat, isn't there? Because it's one of those things that you kind of, people who don't get wrestling, that might be the sort of thing you'd show them and go, hey, it's this kind of thing.
3: i talked about this before and the difference of the wrestlers who worked in the 80s coming up through kind of smaller shows and being able to act and use their voice and just listening to that without actually watching it. Shows how good Jake the Snake was at that. It's the difference in volume. It's difference in pacing. Um, it's yeah. It's just amazing. I'm just sitting here with all kind of heart eyes. It's just amazing.
0: So that's the promo. We've spoken a lot, um, Anton, about Jake's promos in the last couple of weeks. While while you were in Saskatoon, um, <laughs> I was in a novelty battle royal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the match itself uh, wasn't very good. I didn't think another another count out finish. Were they protecting them both, or did neither man want to lose to the other? Well, the fact that there was a Mexican wave. <laughs> as well. I mean, that is, that's just
2: cruel after such a wonderful promo to have that a couple of minutes into the match. Um, it was weird because the, I was watching the match thinking, oh, I, I expected more. Because these guys, both these guys are actually sort of great in the ring for their time as well. And it, it felt like Gorilla Monsoon was really trying to sell it with a lot of bread baskets and a lot of beauties. And it, the commentary didn't match th- what was going on in the ring, sadly. Uh, yeah, I think it maybe it was because this feud continued as well. I think it was more of just a bridge match to to keep it going more than anything else, which is a real shame because these guys, you know, were great and they deserved a... This, this should have been a match you walk away from... and could have saved the bill if this was given the, the time and the and the development it needed. And Roberts kind of reminds me a little bit of... There's a little bit of Ambrose, and we kind of talked about it before Dean Ambrose, but just the way that the crowd are shouting DDT, Throughout the whole thing, especially towards the end as well. And obviously we get that now with Dirty Deeds whenever Dean's in the ring. That's pretty much the only similarity I'm going to say, because Roberts is far better than Ambrose. But um, I liked it. I, I liked Roberts, basically. And I liked her DBS. It's just a shame this match was just forgettable.
4: I, I disagree. Um, I thought this was great, smooth match. Great chemistry. Um, I've talked about hair. Grading during matches and DBRC's got a great one with his like finely coughed rich man mullet that gets sweaty and DBRC's got this great thing where he's wrestling someone where it's just a rich person this thing. Just get off me, you gross underclass. Um which I really like. Um I watched this with my two wrestling friends, Tarquin and Cordelia. Um and Tarquin pointed out that you've mentioned this before, uh Axel, about how WrestleMania matches of this age don't have proper endings. Mm-hmm. Um To which Tarquin said, well, yeah, there's no Raw, there's no SmackDown, you get maybe five or six pay-per-views a year, there's just a lot less TV time to fill, so therefore you don't have the need to just churn up and just go through loads and loads and loads and loads of storylines. So yeah, in this era you have loads more count-up finishes and loads more whatnot, because you have to get your feud to last a year, rather than have your feud... Last three months, like you have in modern day, yeah, that,
2: and they'd settle things in house shows, yeah,
4: down as well. So it wasn't. So you knew
2: if they were coming to your town and it was unresolved, you could go and watch them resolve potentially resolve their issues. So yeah, I, I completely understand, but there is a lack of production in a lot of these matches where you just go. If I was involved in that match and it finished in such a haphazard way, I'd be disappointed as a wrestler slash performer.
3: I think what confused me most about the production of this particular segment is because the million dollar belt is unsanctioned, so make the match a kind of more unsanctioned you've got a referee in there you've got a wrestlemania so in what way is it unsanctioned just because it's not it's basically you mean it's not one of the main belts they could have something interesting with that i think but i don't know what
0: um back to the pre-match i wanted at this point carrie for us to to throw some love the way of gene oakland because in these batch of wrestlemanias there's, there's not many hype vids there's not many other stuff they're all set up by interviews backstage with him, presumably in most cases recorded before the event happens. It, the, sort of the best compliment you can give him is that you don't really notice him in a way, but he's so smooth and seamless. A really key part of company history, and not just WWF, WCW as well.
3: No, I think he's actually one of the most important figures in treating these wrestling games as a really big event. So when you see backstage segments now, you get your kind of on-camera interviewers quite often gurning at the camera and they're kind of reacting directly to the audience. He doesn't do that. He treats it very straight as if he's like a proper journalist. He's asking the questions. He's there as a kind of intermediary, but he's not a character in himself. He does talk to the camera when he's introducing things, but he's not there to necessarily forward a storyline as an as an actor in it
0: and he's reactive and he can do playful things like i think it's i think it's in um, wrestlemania 5 where he interviews brutus beefcake and he just starts with a subtle sort of look down and goes what a package just to try and <laughs> throw beefcake off uh, and still going strong as well isn't he uh, god bless him right before the main event we had a Rhythm and Blues concert, uh, that being Greg Valentine, Honky Tonk Man, Jimmy Hart and some women singing their classic hit, Honka 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 Burning Love. Anyone spot who drove them to the ring in their, their own pink Cadillac? It's
2: me, it's me, it's DDP. Hey. Yeah.
0: So Unbelievable. Apparently, apparently he drove from Florida, where he lived, to Toronto in his pink Cadillac to be part of the show. Um, that's the best thing we can say about Honka 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 Burning <laughs> Love. I sent you guys a message, didn't I? After <laughs> after I watched it. I said, like, What
2: have I watched? I feel like I've got ear gonorrhea or something. I don't know what's <laughs> happened to me. It's horrible. It was awful. I mean, it's just, I can't, Honky Tonk is, I know everybody has those characters. I know you can't stand Beefcake, for example, Matt. Um, Honky Tonk's that guy for me. I cannot stand him. I see him on screen and it just makes me angry because Elvis is dead for like. 12 13 years by this point and we've still got elvis impersonator just and he's rubbish in the ring and it's just he's just so bad like even then people didn't like even people then knew he was rubbish in an age of rubbish wrestlers so oh and he always gets good billing in all these wrestlemanias it's just terrible because
3: vince thinks it's funny because because Vince. Yeah, I don't know what offends me more, his lack of ability in the ring or his lack of musical ability. Yeah, is this that? is just terrible. And my entire comments for the match is why the performance is so bad. I don't know whether they couldn't hear the track. I don't know. I, I don't know. It was just really <laughs> awful. All of it was dreadful.
0: Then the bushwhackers come in, and don't get me started on that. So... <laughs> We'll be talking about them in a couple of weeks' time. Um, the next match we want to chat about is Rick Martell beating Coco Beware. This is the bout that kicked off the show. We've spoken about Martell a fair bit of late and we will do more in the weeks to come. Coco, Carl, features in Beyond the Mat as a kind of washed-up veteran and he's often derided for... Being in the Hall of Fame, you know, when you talk about people who are in the Hall of Fame, people go, "Oh, Coco, beware, in it?" That's a bit harsh, isn't it? He had a, a beautiful drop kick. He was a he was a decent performer. Maybe if he'd been a bit taller, he would have he would have had a, a better run. But I think it's kind of the fact that he's got a parrot with him kind of undercuts him a bit.
4: Yeah, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, one thing I wrote down in my notes for this match is, "Wow, Rick Martell is noticeably bigger in 1990 than he is." in No wellness policy at this time. No, no. no. Uh, obviously, so ninety. 90- WrestleMania 7 that we talked about uh, was during the height of the steroids trial. So everyone is just a couple of shoulders smaller, whereas here they're not. Everyone's huge, bursting at the seams, really. Uh, but this match is, is quite nice. It, it's, it's just two steady mid-carders going about in a nice little warm-up match. Coco Beware is great, and if I could rent a parrot, I'd dress up as him for Halloween.
2: It's, it's everything for me that... I hope you can't rent a parrot. I no, Yeah, fun. that's a weird thing. Yeah. Um, they have it. It's everything that sort of... It starts off with loads of energy and then just for some reason it's like, oh, actually, we've got to fill, the t- we've got to fill 10 minutes, so it just slows down. And it, I, it, I'd never understand why when they've got a card full of so many matches, why they couldn't just say, right, here's five... Just do it in five minutes. Just what you did in the first three minutes. Continue that for a couple more, and done. You're out. So you don't worry about getting gassed. Don't worry about you know sort of you know filling the filling the run in order. Just go and do it. And this matches again. Starts really well. You get great. is actually going to be a lot of good. And then it says, there's, you know, there's a lot of bear hugs and a lot of you know, panting around. It's like, oh, come on, guys! Come on! You're better. At, you're better. You show me you're better than this. Um, obviously, I haven't been here when you he talked about Rick Martel, but. Why is he coming to the ring with some sort of vaginal douche spray? I don't understand what's going on there. It's arrogance. It's arrogance. Which is a great name for a <laughs> for a for an aftershave for a perfume, which is wonderful. But it just looks weird, doesn't it? It's too big, it's too there's something almost medical about it. And and stop doing the action, don't yeah,
0: you? <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> Doc, have you got anything to say on this match?
3: Um not really i think it's quite interesting um some of the commentary in this and they say things like you can't just cover martel and not expect him to kick out I was like, well, well, <laughs> no <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know whether they were also warming up at this point perhaps perhaps that was it
0: <laughs> gorilla monsoon is uh, a company legend obviously i i am really finding myself not liking his commentary everything's in the kisser or the bread basket
3: (laughs) yeah you notice that particularly as you kind of go through he has a series of stock phrases that he falls back on so the kind of first 20 minutes of a wrestlemania you're fine then it's kind of like yeah you said that yeah you said that yeah you say he's a a legend there's a certain amount of nostalgia you can get away with i think at this point
4: Gorilla's Gorilla's fine because he is the straight man um so You can tell a lot about a wrestling fan as to whether they prefer Gorilla and Bobby the Brain or if they prefer Gorilla and Jesse. Because like, do you like your yucking and joking and also kind of, hey, look, Bobby's going to just call this out for being terrible. Or do you like it played a lot more straight with Jesse being a
0: young man to Gorilla's old man, if that makes sense? Um, Is Jesse not just trying to get himself over all the time? I find him quite irritating as well.
3: He is trying to do that. But I think one of the good things about Guerrilla Monsoon is whether he's with Heenan or with Ventura is he doesn't try and compete with them for kind of quickness of wit or you know cleverness with words. He'll just kind of let them get on with it and then get back to calling the action. I think that's a much underrated skill in your commentator.
4: And he's also got the fantastic will you stop... <laughs> I'm Which with Matt, though. is how I tell my friends to stop misbehaving <laughs> and people in the pub if they're just being loud and like grunts, just will you stop? I'm with Matt though. I expected more from Gorilla, and I actually sort of find
2: myself quite disappointed with some of the commentary. And actually, weirdly, because we're in a time where baby faces, everything they did was you know, like Hulk, he would do horrible things, but. So Gorilla's job was to justify everything a baby Babyface did. So then you'd watch it, and Jesse would say, "Actually, that's wrong." You go, "Yeah, that is wrong." well like, so it's weird watching it now because at the time, Gorilla would have been the voice of the people, you know, when it came to the Babyfaces' characters and their actions. But actually, watching it now, going, oh, Jesse actually is the more modern voice, and Gorilla sounds very, very dated. There is a bit in the
4: Dusty Rhodes match where Jesse is more or less. Saying intergender matches are should be a thing, and Gorilla's a, a bit like reluctant to do it. Uh, which again, I, I played up to just like the age gap between them. That there's a lot more subtext in the comedy between Gorilla and Jesse, which is just Gorilla's just a bit older and long in the tooth. Where it's just like, no, it's a new age. Look at what's going on. Um, look, Jake the Snake wants to take million dollar man's money and and bring luxury communism to everyone and gorillas just to be like yeah well he's got a snake though he? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: in terms of the tag match the belts changed hands demolition becoming three-time champs as they beat the colossal connection andre the giant and haku with bobby heenan car must have enjoyed the classic cocaine promo that preceded this from oh. demolition <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs>
2: demolition are terrible aren't they they uh, are one ball gag away from middle-aged swingers party in a Kent Scout heart, aren't they? I, they are. Well, I said
3: sex dungeon, so yeah. yeah, close. I
2: mean, they are, wow. I mean, and also the fact that one of them looks like Jerry Lawler makes me laugh as well, because I can imagine, oh, yeah,
0: he's clearly been in one of those suits. <laughs> um, the finish, really sad, Carrie, at the end, Heenan turns on Andre, and Andre's so broken down at this point, he kind of misses with the paintbrush hand slap that he goes to give Heenan with. Heenan, ever the pro, doesn't sell it and he does it again. But he's, it's obvious that you know Haku's done basically all the work in this match. They get Andre tied up in the rope so he mm. doesn't have to do much. It sort of makes you think he shouldn't actually have been out there at this point.
3: Yeah, I mean, I noted at this point that um, he's climbing in kind of through as low, uh, low an angle as possible. So not like most big men would do. He probably just couldn't do it at this point god love him and yeah not the most mobile of matches he doesn't do much work in the ring gets caught in the ropes in truly unconvincing fashion then obviously Heenan turns in him giving andre a complete bollocking and yeah it's it is a sad sight at this point
2: it's sad but at least andre gets a moment where he's you know the good guy again at the end mm. it's not you know you know this is what he was for the vast majority of his wrestling career and he sticks it to Bobby Heenan, one of the greatest heel characters, certainly the greatest heel character, in my opinion, of that generation. So at least there's a sort of story, sort of finish to his career, even if physically he couldn't do it. And I don't know whether it's me looking at it as as I want to see it, but you could see in the pre-match promo, Andre's smiling. Like he mm. wants to be there. like Regardless of what's going on with his body, regardless of the a, a horribly sad story of the end of his life, he wanted. He cared so much about these events. Like, he was such a big factor in these events being as big as they were. Him being there clearly meant a
0: lot to him. So, if if, if he wanted to be there, damn right he should have been there. Um, Carl Haku was not somebody who I was particularly familiar with. He was a flipping good worker by this standard, wasn't he? Oh yeah, moving around the ring like nobody's business.
4: Amazing strong hand. Um, barefoot wrestlers give me the heebie-jeebies because I'm always going, "Oh God, don't do your ankle! Don't do your ankle! Don't do your ankle!" But he does not do his ankle. He wrestles fantastic and what's basically a handicap match I I don't like Demolition I've always thought they were a rubbish Legion of Doom clone the fact that they had the tag team record for a phenomenal amount of time until the New Day took it made me annoyed and then when New Day took it I was very very happy um, yeah I really enjoyed this match and you know it I just I really enjoy the Heenan family and that concept of that at any point in time there could be a match and Bobby Heenan would be there and Heenan would just do shenanigans
2: yeah if it was jimmy hart turning up every every two or three matches (laughs) you you go a bit crazy wouldn't you but because enum was so good and brought the most out of each character that he was you know that he was sort of representing and so it was yeah it was just wonderful
0: carl's favorite wrestler brutus the barber beefcake defeated mr perfect who had the genius alongside him apparently this was perfect's first loss um not good as the person who is going to be hosting the next two wrestlemanias might say I hate Bruce the Barber
4: (laughs) my notes read Brutus sucks so effing much I hate him his stupid tights make him look near naked get him out it's a really catchy opening theme song though
2: (laughs) I love (laughs) his entrance (laughs) music bam bam, bam can we talk about how dangerous Brutus' gimmick is please because he's walking around with shears he looks like a murderer <laughs> especially when he delivers a
0: promo and his eyes are bulging you're like is he the good guy doesn't because, work yeah. either does it because barbers don't carry eight foot shears no. oh
3: my goodness so I literally thought watching and everything before that I was thinking well obviously Root the Barber Beefcake must be a heel and then I thought no he's getting a baby face reaction why because he's got Scissors? I Because I he's friends know. with
4: Hulk Hogan. That's well, it. Exactly. That's exactly it, isn't that's it? That's the only reason but, he's anywhere in this
2: I but, can't stand but, but then his gimmick is basically hair raping someone <laughs> at, the, at the end of a match.
3: Yes. And it's just... That, is that okay? That's what baby faces do. They steal scissors back from people, drag people who are unconscious into the ring and cut their hair off.
2: Weird. I also like the fact that... that, that genius clearly Larry Popp is clearly not happy about what's going on and you can see he is not happy with the end of this match and uh,
0: get his hair getting cut in the middle of the ring. So we talk a lot about nepotism in wrestling and Carl's mentioned there that uh, Beefcake is, is a Hogan associate. Carrie who was the genius I, I would I would suggest there's a bit of nepotism as to why he's involved uh, yeah, at this point.
3: He's Randy Savage's brother. And uh, yes, the, the genius is a gimmick that was kind of later taken on or the mantle was passed on to Damian Sandow in NXT and then on the main roster. Yeah, I, I quite like this character. I thought Lanny Popper was all right. But yeah, this is fairly abysmal in general. It's a
2: shame to see Perfect streak end with a slingshot. Yeah, That was the move that won the match for Brutus as well. I was like, really? You built this guy up for so long. And then he wins. He loses his streak in that manner, just
4: a bit, just a bit of a bit of a surprise. Really. After Brutus has been hit by the scroll as well, I thought after the scroll and Perfect ways off. I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is the end.
0: And no, Brutus beefcakes his way out of there. Brilliant. And um, the last match we'll talk about: The Orient Express, who are Tanaka and Sato, with Mister Fuji, defeated the Rockers. You know who they are: Marty Janetti and Shawn Michaels by count out. The Rocker's apparently out of favour at this time because of their uh, behind-the-scenes or away-from-the-ring shenanigans. Um, yeah, it's that kind of thing we've been talking about, Carl, where Sean sort of got away with it and, and Marty didn't.
4: Yep, it's the story of everything in, in like heavily male-influenced workplaces. If you're good at what you can do, you can drink and turn up to work hungover, apparently. Um, yeah, this match was pretty dull and I wrote down it's a stacked tag division and they have no idea how to make any matches have any consequence oh wait it's just like
0: 2018 hooray Uh, Vince McMahon doesn't like tag wrestling is the thing that we hear all the time isn't it
4: yes uh, Eric Bishop didn't like it either and he specifically pointed out the rockers because he said any time a tag team gets anywhere any bit of heat it's because one person is very clearly better than the other one which I disagree with I've always been of the Triple H NWA style of you can have amazing tag teams because the whole joy of tag teams is when they start teaming up and doing moves together, um, which is why I like the bar, which I like the revival, which is why um, LOD was so huge. You can't say tag team wrestling is rubbish when LOD apparently have the greatest pop of all time. Because, New day. Yeah. Just get two people who are on the same wavelength doing a big suplex and watch everyone start screaming.
0: Freebirds, yeah, you could... could. Go on. Um, Mr. Fuji, Carrie, he, mm. he got about a bit, didn't he?
3: <laughs> yes, yes, he did. <laughs> um, Yeah, we, we'll we talk about Mr. Fuji quite a lot in the next few weeks as well. But um, yeah, it's interesting because obviously usually managers get put with teams that don't cut promos. And yet Mr. Fuji's character at this point seems to be let's mock him because he doesn't speak English as a first language. It's a really... This this is probably really uncomfortable for me as well. One of the most, uncom- possibly even more uncomfortable than the Roddy Piper thing. This goes along all the time and it's really insidious rather than as blatant as the Robbie, Roddy Piper thing.
0: That's interesting you say that because I've got a note saying is this the least offensive piece of racism and is that even a thing? i put a note here
2: saying oh um japanese competitors where's this oh there's the
0: salt (laughs) (laughs) something to do with the sun as well rising sun anything sun related to finish um yeah all all that good stuff so overall then um carrie what, what, what did you think of this wrestlemania as has become the standard good points bad points
3: yeah i mean it was fine There was a lot of stuff. We didn't mention Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore was there. That was really odd.
0: She was quite pleased to be there, though, wasn't she?
3: I think she might have been overexcited. I think she might have been given a free (laughs) glass of Prosecco or something. (laughs) But she really enjoyed it. Not not Drake Macrake, overexcited.
0: (laughs) Uh, Anything else that we've missed that you want to talk about, Carl? I,
4: I finished this and I thought, if I was Edge, would that show have made me want to become a professional wrestler? And...
0: The end would have, no? As a child, as an 11-year-old, that, that Hogan-Warrior match would have, I yeah. think. Yeah,
4: and apparently he was there with Christian with many posters. So he had one for Andre, one for Bobby, and then eventually one for Hogan. Uh, people got more excited back in 1990, is my only explanation. <laughs> there there are some good bits in there. I really enjoyed Bret Hart, just me mucking to the camera with the one, two, three... Um, but, yeah, it, it it says a lot that when you talk about WrestleMania 6, it's only the final match rather than anything else. Most WrestleManias, when you talk about when they were good, they have at least the main event and one other match. Whereas this one, it's just Hogan and the Jake the Snake promo. Axe, did you have a
2: WrestleMania moment? Uh, I want to, because uh, I completely forgot Earthquake was a thing. So that made me laugh when he popped up because... He's, he's supposed to be, obviously, this natural disaster, this big... Th- and he just looks like a 400-pound blue hemorrhoid with Fryer tuck hair. Because he's wearing this sort of bright blue sort of spandex. And and the comic is like, oh, he sent 28 men to hospital. And you're thinking, well, he's terrible in the ring. So I presume, what, his, his last batch of dodgy mints at his chili cook off was terrible because
0: there is no way this
2: guy's hurting anyone and his Did finisher, you not think
0: he could move quite well for a big guy he's, his finisher I think you've
2: been a bit harsh on His finisher John He's terrible. His finisher is oh, it's just a, it's kind of a, a weird leg drop where he runs off the ropes. But he does it with sort of such glee and there is a bit of pace about it, but it reminds me of when you see like a four year old splashing in puddles. It's always all uncoordinated and it doesn't quite land as it's supposed
0: to it's You got all three of weeks of analogies it's saved so up here. silly <laughs> it's so silly. It's
3: so funny you say that because um, in the pre-match bit, so again, it's, it's Gene who makes this bit. So it's Jimmy Hart with Earthquake talking to Gene. And Gene is just looking at Earthquake when he's talking to Jimmy because he's trying to tell the story that Earthquake is terrifying. But Earthquake is just bouncing from foot to foot trying to convey intensity. He just looks like he needs a wee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did you give us... Is that your WrestleMania
2: moment? Uh, no, my WrestleMania moment, other than the Jet Snake promo, uh, is uh, when Steve Allen's in the in the locker room and there's a piano next to the showers <laughs> <laughs> that's of no one's and that's just like we we accept when there's a piano in the shower are we, okay fine of course we are
0: so steve allen was a celebrity involved and there was a was it the bolsheviks who he says oh, i'm going to do the russian
2: uh, soviet national anthem now and obviously he does about four different versions of where he's taking the mickey but that wasn't particularly
4: funny it's just there's a there's a piano in the shower. i don't know why it made me giggle carl um it's mary uh tyler moore in the crowd, they, they ask her, how are you enjoying WrestleMania? She goes, oh, it's great. It's the best of athletics and theatre. I went, yes, that's what <laughs> wrestling is. You've completely summed it up for everyone. Thank you. Gary.
3: Oh, I'll do something quite boring. I thought Mr. Perfect was amazing, I thought, in that beefcake match, even though it was ultimately terrible. he just He's bumping all over the place and working so hard. And, yeah, I love Mr. Perfect. And he doesn't have... That much of a track record at WrestleMania is in general, so I'm going to flag it up here because I love him.
0: Good shout. Mine is the constant reference as to how next year's show would be in front of over a hundred thousand people at the Coliseum. <laughs> because it would not. Carrie, where can people keep up with you on Twitter?
3: At Carrie Sparkle.
0: Carl. And Command 616. Anton. At Sky Anton. We are at the PU podcast. I am at Matt Davis Adams. Now we're shaking things up next week. We're going to cram our WrestleMania five and four reviews into one show, meaning the Mega Powers explosion and the WWF title tournament will all happen at the same time. Crikey. Until then, thanks for listening. I've been Matt Davis Adams. You've been in parts The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.